You're listening to Unique Leaders Podcast. I'm Megan DiMartino. Success is in the story. Each week, I'll be speaking with a unique leader, not only in their field, but in their lives. Join us for a glimpse of their passion and talents. There's always a surprise in their story. Be the first to hear. Hello, 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 and welcome to Unique Leaders Live. I'm Megan DiMartino, and it's Friday. Wow. What a week. And these weeks are going by so quickly. This is the end of March already, March 19th. I am so blessed to be here today with you and to share my guest story, Miss Charlinda, Charlinda Scales. And before I go into uh, Charlinda and anything about her uh, story, I just want to share a little bit about Unique Leaders Live. Unique Leaders Live is really all about my guest. It is all about their story because their secrets are in their story. One doesn't just start out and be the accomplished uh, business leader that she is currently. It is about the journey. And this journey truly, truly gives insight to not only she, but also you, because you will see in her evolution and journey, you'll see yourself in so many dynamics. And that's really what uh, Unique Leaders Live is about. I've asked all the time, how did you start a skincare line? How did you know to start a skincare line? How did you start a spa? All of those questions and and everything in between. And in the uh, lockdown or that very uh, challenging time that started about a year ago right now, actually right now, goodness gracious, um, I knew in my spirit that I was not to go dark. And during that time, I was at the spa every day, uh, working on projects, but certainly other different lives. And one day, I interviewed a friend of mine who was just beginning a uh, directory for alternative medical practitioners. And I asked her if she wanted to come on. We were also playing around with StreamYard. And so she came on, and it was a Easter time. And the response to it was extraordinary. People were so intrigued by not only her story, but the um, the candor of it and the uh, just the realness of it. And so I decided to continue on and I invited other people to join me and the same reaction happened. And so with that, Unique Leaders Live was born. And so today we have Miss Charlinda Scales. And Charlinda is... Um, not only a beautiful person physically, but a beautiful person in her spirit. I was blessed to listen to she on the Glenn Lundy Rise and Grind show uh, several months back. And I just made a note and I said, I would love to approach Charlinda to share her story with you. I'm not going to go on about her story because it is so full and rich. I want she to share that story with you. So without further ado, I would like you to visit with me and the story of Charlinda Scales. Hello, hello. Hi, how are you? I am well, and I'm so blessed to have you today with me. And uh, to, for you, Charlinda, to share your amazing story, just so blessed and so rich uh, with dynamics. I mean, I could go on because I shared with you when we uh, first emailed you and contacted you that I come from a family business and 
you know, so, but I don't want to ruin the story. So I don't want to go on to that. But there was so much about what you shared with Glenn that it just really resonated with me about your journey and your spirit and your heart. And I want you to just share with our guests that today. So mm-hmm. let's go back to young uh, Charlinda and the first, on a sense, in a sense, I should say, um, recollection of yourself and your, uh, I don't want to say just drive, but your creativity. Where did that start from and a little bit about your background? Certainly, Megan. Well, thank you for having me, first and foremost. This is an honor. And uh, my family's last name is Farrell. So even uh, through my life, no one really knew that I belonged to this Farrell family from Tennessee. Uh, They were a military family, and my family unit growing up in Tennessee was my grandparents and my mom and my aunt and her two boys. So that was my family unit in Cookville. It was a small town like Mm -hmm. Andy Griffith, a little little bitty town with the stoplight. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I really loved growing up with my grandparents. I think that that dynamic uh, led to the creativity, the wholesomeness, certainly, mm-hmm. of um, thinking outside the box. My granddad, I would t- take walks with him, and he would tell me about the Korean-Vietnam War. And as a young child, like it, it seems like a tall tale. It seemed like every time I walked with him, he was filling my head with all of these stories. I said, that could not have been real. Route 66? What is that? You know? And it, it was just, it was vivid, you know? It was it was this second greatest thing to reading a, a, a book. Sure. And uh, that's where I think it comes from. Being mm-hmm. able to be enriched by stories like that of their upbringing. Um, I have a lot of musicians in my family. And I have um, military veterans, nurses, hairdressers. So they're all kind of like, they all have their own talents. Mm-hmm. But that's what I did notice about my family is they encourage you to find your gift and mm-hmm. walk in it. Uh, and they're watching closely. <laughs> Absolutely. And protecting as your grandfather did. And, uh, you know, I, my grandparents were, um, immigrants from Italy, Ireland, and Germany. And, um, and I knew several of them well, and, uh, but the stories, but one, my grandmother from Italy was very important in my life. Very, very important person. And I, I agree. And my children have uh, relationship, had relationships with their grandparents. And it's a very, very important piece. And I know that uh, kids that don't have that really miss uh, on some level a piece of history and piece of history of themselves. So it's a blessing to have that. And so as you're so here in Cooksville, Tennessee, with your family and most of the folks that you just mentioned lived in the general area with you, meaning the same house. Oh, meaning the stylist as well. So, gosh, you had your hair done and and so forth by everybody. And you shared about your grandfather um, having been not here in the military, but also he was a um, and a storyteller and a very um, uh, fun person to be around. But he was also a creative person. So, share a little bit about he because that's a very pivotal part to the period of time you're in right now, but just give us a little piece of your grandfather. What was his name, by the way? 
His name is Charlie Farrell. And Charlie Farrell Jr. and his call sign when he was in the military was Mutt. He had the ability to blend in anywhere. And he was just a very adaptable personality. You know, it seemed like even for that era, his friends came from all different backgrounds. You didn't really, you know, to talk to him was to think like he was living in a different world than the rest of everyone else. Um, But, you know, that also was a result of being in the military with a different atmosphere where you don't have those barriers, like what you look like, or where you're from, you have a mission that you have to get done. So I think that the military transcended a lot of the uh, domestic things that we were dealing with back home during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. What year was this when he was, uh, you were walking with him and he was sharing or wherever, but he was sharing his stories. Uh, it was the early 80s. Early 80s. Okay. Early. I was kind of with the Korean War and the Vietnam Vietnam War. I was thinking that it was probably early 80s. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he uh, he was a very uh, big on problem solving. So you, you hear him think things through or he would look at something like, how can I improve whether it was something around the house, whatever it was. But the common thread in our family was, he was obsessed about this sauce. He thought condiments were wasteful and you have a lot of them in your fridge and probably half of them are expired. And he wanted to do something more efficient. So if he could just take everything in the kitchen in in the cabinet and combine it into one <laughs> and you use it for everything. So that was something that was very creative about him was one sauce for all in a mason jar. And we would just eat it breakfast. Mess. I think it's brilliant. I mean, I when you said that, I said to myself, "Well, I'm going to walk into my refrigerator right now and see that uh, Charlie was correct." <laughs> Meaning that half of this stuff should be thrown away. When you said about the expiration, you know, oh, I have the whatever, and of mm-hmm. course it's expired. So, but also when you said about the Bloody Mary and uh, meaning that what you know, it's good for all. You know, it reminded me when you were speaking. I don't know if you ever saw the movie my big fat Greek wedding and ah. with the Windex, you know, yeah. how it, you know, you had a pimple, the Windex, I mean, whatever it was, it, it worked for everything. Not mm-hmm. that you would put the mutt sauce on something, a topical. You never know. I've got some stories. Yeah. yeah I'm sure <laughs> where it has been utilized. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so um, grandpa Charlie was a big part of your life and um, you then, uh, you know, went to college. I mean, so did you go to high school in Cooksville? Is that where you yeah. did your so I years? Grew up um, my whole life in Cookville up till eighteen. Uh, my mom, you know, she was a single mother, uh, and she really wants. She was one of the biggest influences in my life, besides my my grandfather. But she's a very driven personality. She was someone who said, I don't want anything handed to me. I think a lot of that came from my grandparents' influence. Mm -hmm. I'm the same way. Like, we want to work for it. And she wanted to get her college degree. She wanted to branch out on her own, not being dependent upon her parents. So when Mm -hmm. she moved out, uh, I didn't realize we had moved into, like, Section 8 uh, low-income housing projects, as they call it, plainly. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I got to elementary school and the kids were like, hey, you know, you you live in the project. So I was like, uh, I mean, I didn't know that. I just mm-hmm. I live in uh, a nice apartment that's always clean and there's food on the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, it's just a, a matter of perspective. My mother never uh, let me feel deprived and I enjoyed my time with her and she was heavy on education. She enrolled me in so many programs that my cousins would tease me <laughs> like, what program are you in this summer? Because we know we're not hanging out with you because she probably enrolled you in a program. And that that ended up helping me as I got to high school because I tore my ACL. I wanted to play sports. I still loved sports. I was big into running and soccer. And I thought that my future was to get a sports scholarship to go play soccer or run track. I was a 200-meter runner. I tore my ACL the first game senior year. And all the scouts disappeared. And I was sitting there like, this is the most depressing mm-hmm. part of my life. I, I reached a low that I didn't think that I could could be at emotionally. And she picked me up. She's like, You're you need to stop looking at your self-worth in terms of like one dimension, That's like right. one thing, one path, because you know, her, you know, it's faith-based. It's like the, the God that made you made you for great things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that detour and, uh, was it was merely that it was a detour right. it was taking you from what you perceived and the word you used earlier was perspective, you know, about when you're talking about the projects, because I grew up, you know, uh, outside of New York City. And of course, I'm very familiar with uh, those terminologies and uh, labels. And those are ridiculous. But yes, I couldn't agree more. But it's about your perspective of uh, your own personal reality. Yes. And that was my first instance with a rock bottom moment. Mm-hmm. Is that how am I going to pick myself up from this? She said, you, I'm, you had good grades. <laughs> so uh, I was sitting in the back of a math class and this kid was filling out, a, it's called Reserve Officer Training Corps, ROTC for the Air Force. And it was a scholarship application uh, that the Air Force was offering. And he said, but you had to do stuff in high school, like extracurriculars wow. and community service and all this stuff flashback to being teased about all these programs right programs were all the things that i sat there i took it from him filled it completely out turned it into my guidance counselor my guidance counselor turned it in like she mailed it in and that led to me getting a full ride scholarship to the college of my choice Wow. But it was mom's foresight, right? That you're Absolutely. not a one-dimensional person and I'm going to enroll you in program so you're well-rounded. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I give my, you know, I hats off to her because she, she saw something that I honestly didn't see in myself. And so many kids uh, today, I think it was more prevalent back in those days, although a lot of kids play sports, but it's that well-rounded that you just said, you know, that dynamic of not just the sports like you were injured from, but uh, the other activities that showed this very diversified individual. Yes, it's very key. I know when I was in high school, uh, that type of thing was um, my mom, you know, it was a candy striper and I did all sorts of things that um, she felt was important, just like your mom. Yeah. You you know, I did that too. What part of the hospital did you work in? Did you have a... I worked, well, when I did it for a couple years, uh, junior and senior year, and uh, many, but a lot of um, older care, elder care, Mm -hmm. a lot of that. Um, But kids, you know, pediatrics and children predominantly. I love that. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yes, I have great memories of that and great memories of different things like you're talking about. Uh, it would, And like your friend said, it filled the summers too. And I guess our mothers were cut from the same cloth to not, my mother would always say, don't waste your minutes. You know? <laughs> so those idle moments, she, she didn't like those. So we had to be involved. So yeah, very, very hats off to our moms for uh -huh. St. Patty's Day. Mm -hmm. So, so therefore, then you got that full ride scholarship, and uh, where did you go? I went to Clemson. Uh, I originally wanted to go to Clemson University in South Carolina because their women's soccer team was the best. I thought so. Mm -hmm. Still, I was thinking sports, but uh, they had an ROTC program. So I said, "Well, I'll go there." And while you're in school, you have weekly seminars that you have to go like training to prepare you that when you get out of college or the four years of college that they paid for or five if you were an engineer you owe them equal amount of time in the military uh -huh. um, but the catch is you're coming in as a commissioned officer so you're going to be um, paid a, a good rate and you're also going to be uh, leading people from day one. You're going to have a team. You're going to be responsible for people the moment you put your uniform on. And that was, you know, I didn't really understand the difference. There, the, like, if there was a difference between enlisted and officer, to me, they're still not. I think that they're, they both have equal amount of responsibility and mm -hmm. um, job importance. And, but my grandfather coming from a time you know, it's a different military. So when I said, yeah, I'm going into the military, I'm going to be an officer. And he just cried. He's like, we've never had an officer in our family. And that, you know, you're thinking, oh, wow, this is, this is doing something for you. And that was the, that thought of your accomplishments don't just belong to you. Mm -hmm. They're they're your ancestors' accomplishments. They're your grandmother's accomplishments. They're your mom's accomplishments. And I just approached college with a new sense of determination. Like mm -hmm. I have got to get this done. I have, he needs to see this moment. I want him to be able to see me as an officer because at that point we learned that he had uh, lung cancer. So it was just like a race against the clock. Mm -hmm. Is he going to be able to see it? So. And did he, was he, he well, some of it, I'm sure. He did. Actually, he was the first person to salute me. So there's a ceremony that they do uh, for commissioning ceremonies. Some It's called the Silver Dollar Salute. And uh, someone from your family or someone close to you renders you a salute. It's, at Clemson, there's these stairs that have molds of soldiers and you walk through them symbolizing your emergence from being just a student citizen to being uh, a soldier mm -hmm. and take a left face. And then the person who salutes you is standing there and oh, then wow. you your salute mm -hmm. and then you can give them a hug. And then you hand them a silver dollar as a token of, mm -hmm. of that time. And he was too sick to be at my college graduation, which was the day before. Mm -hmm. But when I did the ceremony, I was like, that is the sharpest salute I've ever seen of any human to this day. I've never seen a salute better than the one that he gave i almost forgot to salute <laughs> you know? i would have i would have been so uh, entranced by his uh oh wow what a, yeah what a i was like that thing. is someone who has been through two wars who has seen so many things all the stories or the culmination mm -hmm. of him standing there 
you know, not really needing his cane because he was standing so straight and just snapping that salute. I was just, you know, I was like, God, thank you. If I only have this moment in time, let my brain never forget it. Exactly. I, exactly. I just this moment. He gave me that moment. And um, he did pass away less than a year later. So mm-hmm. and I, was like, I have that no matter what happens after this. It's it's in your heart forever. And I, as you were sharing this, I'm visualizing, like you said, the Andy Griffith, you know, the one stoplight. And I'm visualizing your town, you know, and you walking with him and he sharing these stories and then then go evolving to this moment. What a visual just but it's your life. And just what, like you said, something that you'll hold dear forever. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, as I as I shared, we uh, I didn't share this piece, but uh, we have a lot of military background as well. And uh, oh, yeah, my father was in the Air Force during the Second World War, and uh, my uh, first husband's father was actually in uh, the Second World War. He was a bombardier, and he was shot down, and was a POW for about two years. So um, you know, just a lot of again, a lot of stories and a lot of richness to our heritage. Thank you for your family service. Yeah, it, they were special guys for sure. And my uh, my own husband, Paul Tyler, um, had been in the Korean War. Oh. And so um, with my father-in-law, uh, from my first husband to this gentleman, they became great pals. And as my daughter has always said, give a guy a war, a gun, a boat, a plane, and they're friends forever. Right? Right? A little bit. <laughs> They, they were buddies. So regardless of, again, family, whatever, they were buddies. They were just great friends. Yes. So you uh, went then from there, then you went into the service. Yes. So uh, my first assignment was Robbins Air Force Base in Georgia. And they told me that my position, my job was going to be an acquisitions program manager. And it's like acquisition 63 alpha. All right. <laughs> Get down there to Georgia, and which was great news to my mother. Cause she was thinking, Oh my gosh, they're going to ship her off the war. Like she, her thought was, as soon as you get your assignment, it's probably going to be overseas or something. And when I said Georgia, she's like, oh, that's like a four-hour drive. <laughs> she was so happy uh, that she could just come visit me. And I wasn't prepared for where I worked because I was still thinking I'm going to be working with aircraft. My grandfather was an aircraft mechanic. So all, mm-hmm. the, all the stories he told were about being on the flight line. You know, that I thought that's the Air Force. You're on the flight line. You're near mm-hmm. the plane. And they gave me the directions, and I pulled into this office building. And I walk in, and it's just like corporate office building. I'm like, I can't what? be in the right place. <laughs> what am I doing here? Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't be in the right place. I'm in my uniform, but everyone walking around is is a civilian. I mean, they're they're dressed in plain clothes. And uh, I asked him, I said, you know, this is my name. And they said, oh, here's your supervisor. And this woman saunters over. She said, oh, okay. Hi, Lieutenant. Your your cubicle is between Larry and Barry. Larry and Barry. Okay. And that was it. She's like, I got to meet And she just walks off. And I'm sitting there like, my cubicle is between Larry and Barry are the words I never thought. I did not have that on my bingo card. <laughs> right, right, Larry Barry, yes, and there's so, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I went uh, around just looking in cubicles, looking at name tags, and sure enough, there was Larry and a blank cubicle and Barry. And uh, they they came, you know, the two country boys, and hey, welcome, LT. Nice to see you. Welcome. Now, now, were they in this? Uh, were they civilians or did, were they in the military? They were civilians. Oh wow! Two civilian. Um, one was a logistician, and the other guy was an engineer. And just two laid-back country guys are like, we've been working here for over twenty years. We've oh, seen my. so many of you young whippersnappers. <laughs> and I was like, this is surreal. This is interesting. And I said, so I just I work here at this desk. I don't work on the flight line. They're like, the flight line. Ah, ha, ha. Mm -hmm. So I realized at that point that my job is more aligned with corporate America um, pro program management, project management. That is what my job was. And um, all a lot of your team members are going to be civilians. A lot of the people that you work with are defense contractors like Northrop Grumman, um, mm -hmm. Boeing, Lockheed Martin. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that all four years of your military was in in the genre that you're speaking about? Yes, but I ended up doing over a decade. Uh, so you did because you said initially that you had to repay, so to speak, yeah. the year, but you did over a decade. Okay, but you were so you were never on the flight line. No, there was no. never. There's never. Well, I would go. So here's the thing: a lot of your team members. Um, some of them are engineers, uh, flight test folks. They have to be on the flight line, maintainers. Right. So I would, in order to understand my job better, if you're putting something on contract or you're doing a negotiation, you want to understand the uh, capability or the weapon or whatever it is that you're putting on contract. So for mm -hmm. me, you, you would take the extra step to go out there. Yeah. Climb yeah. around in the plane. Learn yeah. about it. So when you're at the negotiation table and someone's saying that uh, this this nut and bolt cost fifty million dollars, you're like, no, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. No. Yes. Wow. So I'm I'm now putting this together uh, that this is truly a uh, bottom line is somebody has to do this. Like you said, we look at movies and this, that, and the other thing, and it's the romanticizing of things, I suppose, but the nuts and bolts, as you said, have to be done and the monetizing of it and the foundational pieces of all of this have to be done by somebody. Right. Barry, Barry and you. There's you know. a business side to the military. Yes, exactly. Yes, it's a very important piece. So um, so over a decade, now when did you go to graduate school? After you finished the military? So that, that was the great thing I discovered about being active duty. There's so many facets to the opportunities that you have while you're still in uniform, while you're still serving your country. Some of the things that I did while I was still active duty, um, they have sports. I ended up playing sports for the Air Force. I was mm -hmm. on their track team. I traveled uh, once uh, once a year. I would travel to Europe, all over Europe, and, and run for the Air Force. Oh, wow. I have went to language school. They've paid for you to learn languages. They've paid for graduate school while I was still on. I never left my uniform, went to graduate school. 
Wow. And they pay for all of these things because they are investing in you. The longer that you stay in, you are an asset of the United States military. And the more that they can, more skills they can add to your plate, the better for them. Wow. This is a piece that uh, certainly I did not, I mean, I guess peripherally would uh, make sense, but uh, what the advantages are, I can see why people stay in the military for such a long time because it becomes not only your life, but the assets to it are, are amazing. Right. There's no need to, there's really no need to, to leave. And I think somewhere, uh, maybe it was five or six years in, I did a lot of traveling in my background and uh, they call it going TDY. Well, you're, you're familiar with some of these terms. Going TDY is temporary duty. So you're going mm-hmm. on a business trip, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, you weren't allowed to keep your sky miles. You weren't, they weren't yours to keep. But somewhere around like year five or six, they announced that you can own your own SkyMouse. So if we send you on a business trip to halfway across the world, those are your SkyMiles. I was like, but y'all paid for the trip and I get the SkyMiles too. So if you have time off that you've accumulated, mm-hmm. you can use your SkyMiles for free. I was like, they're paying for your vacations too. Wow. I mean, that's it, a perk. That's a perk right. from the government. Yeah, that's great. And um, now, even with the pandemic, they announced that you can keep all the days. So if you had to work from home, a lot of our um, soldiers, and they're working from home, like we would telework. Mm-hmm. And they said, if you haven't had to take days off, you've accumulated all these days off, you get to keep those vacation days. And I was like, some people probably have like 30, 40, 50 vacation days. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of great things that people don't really discuss because, you know, you look at it, it is service and sacrifice, but there is a reason. There are great reasons why people have said, you know, I want to get out of my small town or, you know what, I I need a better life for you. Uh, I have, uh, how am I going to take care of my family? Medical bills are expensive. That's, you know, those are the things that people do join the military just for that. For sure. For sure, and you do, like you said, you do hear that, but it uh, it just resonates when you bring it to life as mm-hmm. you're sharing it here, because it's uh, very. But it's such a, um, a, a, I I don't know what the word is, but all encompassing, but also giving, but receiving. You know, there's a, that give and take, like you're saying, and uh, you do, have to, life. You do mm-hmm. have to understand that at some point. And I think that this is just the overarching. At some point, it's going to hit home. Like the the sacrifice that you make in your life, in in physically, mentally, psychologically, it is there. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there's also got to be something in it that that has positivity. Mm-hmm. And there are some positive points. But there's also, I mean, the military. It's still the military. And I think. When I was in college is when we had 9-11 and being in college and having your commander pull you in, all the students saying, this is what you signed up for. There's no, you know, you can yes. go to war. War yes. doesn't exist. It's not all college parties and fun. Right. You put that uniform on and you can get shipped out. If they run out of people <laughs> that they're going to call up, you're a cadet. You know, yes. you're on contract. We can call you up if, if mm-hmm. it gets to that. It's a sobering reality, yes, mm-hmm. at that time. Very sobering. Yeah. And yes, <clears throat> now I have several questions about um, you being a female. 
and also it, you know, le releasing or leaving the military. But during these years, when you were doing your um, uh, business, uh, you know, critical mass job, um, were you living in a barracks? How, how did you live? Where were you? I lived uh, in an apartment. An uh, apartment. Yeah. So when, when I went in, they give you a salary and they give you a housing stipend and they give you what's called basic allowance for substance. So it's like an extra living stipend. And that was able to, you know, take care of me. Uh, I don't, I never lived on base. Uh, I don't think I had the option to live on base at that point, uh, mm -hmm. being single. But uh, I lived in apartments for most of my life and mm -hmm. then got got my own house kind of thing. So uh, I, I guess mean, you I all purpose, I, I look like someone who started working in corporate America and had her own place and stuff. Because you were an officer from the get-go. So you uh, were treated, like you said, very differently as well. And so that when I said barracks and then I said, well, she was an officer, why would she, she would not have been in a barrack? But is that type of thing even still in existence or do most people live uh, stateside? Do they live um, in a home or an apartment? Oh, yeah, we definitely still have barracks. And I think, you know, a, a lot of our enlisted troops, you got to look at um, the average age of a military troop is, is 18 to mm -hmm. 25. So you're coming out of high school and you, the barracks aren't, you know, like some status symbol. It's also like, we need to watch after you. You're still young. Oh, you still are someone we need to, to look after. And it's, mm -hmm. it's an easier transition. It's almost like when I came out of high school and I went to a dorm in college, it's right. like dorm life that that's the same age, age bracket. Mm-hmm. So um, when I came out of college, I was in my 20s, but they're coming into the military at 18, 19. Mm -hmm. so. Interesting. Yeah, very much so. I never, ever have thought about it that way. But that's truth. It's just e helping them uh, with that transition of life. Interesting. And so what made you decide to leave then uh, with all of these perks and, you know, building your career and education uh, with it? What made you ultimately decide to leave? Well, I, I kind of took my boots off, but not really. I joined the reserves in 2015. Uh, Air Force Reserves is a, a different opportunity to be able to serve your country. You uh, sign up to do uh you can do four weeks. You can do as much time as you want to, but a minimum of like, I think, four to six weeks a year. Mm -hmm. uh, depending on how your contract is structured, you could do drill weekends. Some people have to do weekend drill. Mine, my contract is I go on an active duty base. I basically work alongside the active duty troops. I don't do weekend drill. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it, it looks almost the same as when I was serving on active duty. Mm -hmm. But 2015... Uh, I was eating something. I was stationed here at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, and I was eating a meal, and I was like, hmm, this tastes awful. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with this. What is missing? And I, I told my mom, I said, you know what? I haven't had my granddad's the, the sauce he made since he passed away. I, I don't think anybody knows how to make it. Can somebody whip this up for me? And yeah, instead of answering the question, she said, come see me. 
so I went to see her and she handed me an envelope. She said, your grandfather told me to give you this before he passed away. And I opened it up and he wrote down the original recipe and he said, give that to her. And I'm like, you know, it's a piece of paper to the rest of the world. But to me, I'm sitting there like I'm hearing fireworks and explosions. And like, wow, really? Oh God, you know, and then, you know, it's just like the brakes. You hit the brakes. Like, why me? Wait a minute. Why me? And what do you want me to do with this? It's the conversation. The questions start happening that you don't have an answer to. Mother doesn't have an answer. And I have to figure it out. I'm sitting here now with an envelope and a, and a million questions and very humbled too, but uh, more questions than answers. Now, uh, did he ever say to your mom uh, or any family member, but of course your mother, that wait till that right moment and what that right moment would be? Uh, did she ever share that with you? You know, no. did you give it to her. It was, you know, this is eight years after he's passed. And I asked her, I was like, why in the world are you waiting eight years to tell me? And she said, oh. all, of his, all of his children, he has five children, Shalinda. I'm the second oldest of five. And he's got two of his sons who were in the culinary industry. And you're telling me that he skipped all of his children and two of his grandchildren for looking at the age hierarchy and gives it to the third grandkid with no explanation. And she's the one that doesn't even really like to cook. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I come from a family of really great cooks and I cook out of survival. So when I'm cooking, it's because I'm really hungry. Like I can't think of anything else to do except cook to stay alive. And um, not that I'm a bad cook. I'm just a lazy cook. Yeah, it's it's not your passion. It yeah. doesn't light your fire. No, I get it. I'm the same way. But you, she didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to approach them about it. I do know I had an uncle who was building a restaurant, and the concept had the sauce as like a centerpiece. I, I, I just I thought he was the logical choice. So. Here I am wondering what this what this means. I'm on active duty. I thought that my purpose was to be in the military. My purpose is to retire, as he thought that service meant retirement. And that was just from his, you know, perspective. Mm -hmm. I think you raise your hand and serve for two days, you served. <laughs> and that's just my philosophy. But um, now it's just, you know, I'm at a crossroads. There's a path now. There's something happening. And I don't know what it is. I'm going to continue being in the service until I can figure it out. I sought mentorship. I actually went to Google and Googled free help. Okay. <laughs> okay. And uh, I found an organization that uh, gave me a mentor. And the mentor was about my grandfather's age, John Suter. And he said, you want to take care of your family you need to take this piece of paper and make a food product. You can sell it. I was like, sell it. Why would I sell it? He said, Kraft, Heinz, they started out with a product. They became a conglomerate. They started manufacturing. They acquired other brands, multiple generations of their family. Never have to worry about anything ever again. Amen. If they woke up and didn't want to do a thing, <laughs> they're still going to be okay. And he said, but you have to think bigger. And he said, I challenge you to think 
the largest, you know, where, where this could go. And so he just painted the picture for me, told me to go home, think about it, pray about it. Uh, and I did. And I came back to him the next time. I said, okay, so how do we do this? How fast do we do this? He said, well, I move at the speed of determination. And I was like, well, what is that? It's like, however determined you are is how fast this will happen. I'll give you okay. the checklist. You're, you're a military person. I'll give you the checklist and the regulations. We'll see how fast you get this done. All right, John. I love that. Power of determination. Wow, I like that. Though the speed of determination. Speed of determination. Wow, that's that very good. Four months from a piece of paper to the first um, production of what we now call Mutt's Sauce. And so at this point, when you had the uh, very bland meal, went to your mom, she gave you uh, the treasure of your life um, and to meeting John, how long, and then the four months from that point, how long was that, all of that? I, I met my mother in July and we had the first production that December. Oh, wow. Okay. But you still were in the military. Still in the military. So I was doing everything. And my day consisted of waking up super early, going and working all day. I mean, you don't really have hours in the military. It's however long your commander needs you to whenever you get the job done. And then you go home. Sometimes that could be five. Sometimes that could be eight o'clock at night. I mean, it just depends on what the mission was. It just depends yeah. on what it was. And right. I would get home and I would put them in stacks. So if there was a project like, file your LLC, file for your tax ID number. And I would give myself a meal one to three tasks a day. And I would put them in a stack with the checklist item on top. And I would put five of them. And so Monday through Friday, I would come home. I have just enough energy mustered up to finish this little stack and go to bed. And that's I, want, I want to stop you for one minute. I want our listeners to really pay attention to this because this is time blocking personified. Yeah, truly, truly time blocking personified. And by taking those, like you said, from your stack of need, you took your three projects out and you did them to completion. That's what it takes. It does. So yes. Keep that's going. Right. You know, I didn't know that that you know I hadn't associated it with time blocking, but that makes a lot of sense. Yes, that's, mm -hmm. that's what I would do every night. And he said, "Don't get overwhelmed because if you look at the whole list, that's when you start feeling defeated. You're like, oh my god, I'm only I only finished two things on this list of fifteen things. And so but you finished, but you finished right. So if you have, if you tell yourself you only have two things, then you can go to sleep with that sense of accomplishment and right. makes it easier to, to get through each day when you're like, I'm so tired. By Friday, you're like, oh my gosh. Um, we had our first event and it was, I planned backwards. So that's the other thing is I planned an event with the local chamber of commerce before we even had production. But I told everybody, you're going to try the sauce. So that meant that the sauce has to get made. I don't care how it has to happen or I'm, right. going, to, I'm going to embarrass myself. Even if it was served in little cups, whatever, you would be there and you would have the mutt sauce. Yes. Can't back out. So we yeah. had that first production and had an event a couple of days later and we sold all 700 of the first 
production. And I went back to John and said, John, we have no sauce, but I have all this cash. <laughs> and I said, what do I do? He said, you take the money, you make more sauce. Amen. Sell it again. <laughs> I'm like, it can't be that simple. He's like, yeah. I mean, he said, there's layers to it, but you'll see that uh, just sell your product. Right. Like, tell your story. Right. I, I call it start. You started and then you're going to start scaling, you know, but you started. And that's the most important step in anything is that start. Because mm -hmm. how many times, and I know you've seen this with people that you've known that have an idea, maybe have been given this gift of the recipe from uh, uh, Grandpa Charlie, but they talk themselves out of things. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And you continued on. You took that first step and you continued on, held those goals, got to the Chamber of Commerce event, sold out and continued on. Bravo, girl. Thank Bravo. you. Thank Bravo. you. It's been an honor. And to your original question, I was able to do that routine of active duty selling sauce for two years. And I did start to feel the burnout. It was mm -hmm. it was real. I mean, when you're working basically seven days a week, when you start having events on the weekends, start doing farmers markets on the weekends, trade shows. So now you're not working five days a week. You're working seven days a week. And yeah. I wasn't getting any relief. Uh, and the longer that you're in the military, if you're dedicated, and my grandfather had this philosophy, like if you don't give it everything you got, you need to step aside and let somebody else in, mm -hmm. put their boots on and do what they got to do. So you, you can't slack in, in serving your country. Mm -hmm. The moment you feel like you can't give it 110%, you'll know when the time is. And mm -hmm. I remember sitting at my desk one day and in my head, I was not thinking about, I wasn't thinking about all of the things that I needed to do work-wise, I was thinking of, oh my gosh, I need to get this done for mutt sauce. Oh my gosh, I need to get this done for yeah. mutt sauce. And I'd never thought of that way before. It was always just like grinding, grinding, grinding in my military. I had the whole 20 years. I knew, you know, what I wanted to do. If I just work really hard here, bloom where I'm planted, then maybe these other doors would open as far as the military was concerned. Um, it gets harder. It doesn't get easier in the military especially as an officer that you're trying to enroll yourself in programs to make yourself competitive for promotions. Mm -hmm. So they foster this environment of over like you're in school, you're in not just MBA school, you're in military school. You're mm -hmm. trying to do all these things to make yourself stand out and, and do your job the best anybody could possibly do it. There's a lot of pressure in that because there's yeah. many talented people in uniform. I mean, mm -hmm. just that's, that's why our military is so great because we have so many great people. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Very competitive. But, and like you said, it, the environment fosters that, like you said, very talented, uh, bright people that are uh, all vying for those positions. So yeah. yes, I could see that becoming exhausting in itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and you know there was something about I was starting to learn a little bit more about myself. Entrepreneurship was teaching me about 
who I am, my passions and desires. And, and that really wasn't jiving the whole competitive nature because I didn't, I didn't need that validation anymore. I didn't need the promotions to validate mm -hmm. my life path. I was like, I could never get promoted again and be just fine because I'm passionate about what I'm doing here with mutt sauce. Right. And um, it just, you know, I was starting to feel a conflict and there was a position that I wanted to take military wise. I was grinding away in my position and um, my personal life was becoming important. Um, my other half at the time had gone to Washington, D.C., thought he was going to stay for another year. We chased each other around the globe. <laughs> and I was like, this is getting emotionally exhausting uh, to get keep turn getting turned down. Um, anytime I wanted to be in the same location, they were saying no. Mm -hmm. The last commander I had, he said, if you work yourself to the bone, basically, I will let you go to Washington, D.C. Mm hmm. And so I'm grinding. Of course, I'm still working hard with mutt sauce, but I was grinding. And he, that commander left. A new one came in. The new commander said, I want to stick you on a contract negotiation. I said, but sir, the previous commander said that I could go to Washington, D.C. He's like, well, I'm not him. And um, I said, but isn't our well-being important? And he said, it, we're taught people first, mission always. He was like, he said, mission first, people, then people. And he said, you, you're going to do what I tell you to do mm. if you want to stay in that uniform. And when he said that, I was like, hold up. You know, would you want someone who's like super depressed and moping around for a year mm -hmm. just to get your job? And it was like, and when it comes to contract negotiations, we call source selections. There, there's something that is really great for the resume. I already had, I already had one in my records. There were other uh, captains at the time who needed source selection experience. I was like, so you're you're taking away from someone else's experience because you're comfortable. You, you, you know, are I thank you for believing in me, but it doesn't help my career. And um, that I think that that whole like disregard for who I am as a person mm -hmm. at the same time that I'm having this internal struggle <laughs> was a perfect storm. But, you know, I'm thinking, I'm listening to you and I mean, I, we could go and talk about the gentleman and it's pointless, but, but God uses people in certain circumstances. And remember back in high school when you injured yourself and that took you to a different course. And here, uh, this circumstance led you to ultimately say, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, I, I found uh, a colonel told her my story. Uh, she had the uh, ability to enroll me in the transition program. And I just walked into my commander's office and I said, you're going to have to find someone else. I'm no longer active duty, sir. And he just sat there like, what? <laughs> But I felt a sense of relief. Yes. I I went to the recruiter, the reserve recruiter. I said, I'm I'm here. I still want to serve. Can I still put my uniform on? They're like, welcome to the Air Force Reserves. And now you're basically a civilian who does military duty um, when she can. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that became that became my life path. And that's what I've been doing now for seven years. Mutt sauce in the reserves. So um, when I see the photos of you, um, 
in uniform. Those are not older pictures. You're still in the reserve. And when I see, you know, you with other gals or whatever, uh, it's current pictures. Yes. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So let's roll on to Mutt Sauce uh, with where I want to pick up and share with our guests, um, you know, TED Talk, uh, Damon Johns, a little bit about that, about that piece, taking it from, um, you know, fairs and, 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 you know, events like that and trade shows to taking it to the next level. Yeah. Tell a little bit about that. Well, I, you know, entrepreneurship is a roller coaster and it's been a wild ride. It is, you know, mutt sauce, everything that people see right now. I tell you, a piece of paper. And I want you to look at whatever people in the audience. I want you to look at whatever is going on in your life right now. And something that you said, oh, that could be X, Y, and Z. Yes, it could. It could be greater than you could ever imagine. Because even six months in, we went to Shark Tank. We were on Shark Tank uh, six months as a company. Didn't get a deal. And, you know, another story of rejection. But they just said, you're six months old as a company. It's great that you're even here. Yeah, and we're this. This is a rejection that you shouldn't go home and go. Oh, woe is me. This is when you should go. Holy crap! I was here, and, oh, and then all these sharks are giving me advice on how to keep going, and that's what I did. Exactly. I going. I listened to them. Uh, I instituted processes. It was very important that as an entrepreneur, you look at processes and things that are uh, you can repeatable. If someone came in and they needed to help you, where you need to accept help on your journey. Uh, make it so people can help you work for you um, and help you get to the next level, help you scale. So I was a student this whole time. I've been a student as much as I've been a leader. And we won Bob Evans Farms Veteran Owned Business of the Year in 2017. And that is where I eventually met Damon John because they assigned him as the celebrity mentor for the three veterans that they chose. And I, I said, how interesting is it that on the journey, the shark that I wanted to pitch to at Shark Tank was Damon John. He was the only one who was not there. Oh, really? Oh, I was wondering that. That piece, I did, it, that makes total sense. Okay. So when I got to the Bob Evans um, Farms contest and I met with him and I was talking to him, in my head to myself, I'm screaming because I was like, I prayed that I got to meet him at Shark Tank and I didn't get to meet him. And now here it is. They have placed two chairs in an empty room. I walk in and he's sitting in the chair and he said, come here, sit down. What do you want to know? I'm like, this is not happening. Right. So Even better than Shark Tank, meaning that connection. Yeah. His, his full attention is just how can I help you? Mm -hmm. And what a personality he has that that is true to who he is. He yes, just hard. to mm -hmm. help you. That's mm -hmm. why we call the people shark. It is yes. the yes. best the best moniker I've ever heard for a person that really does match up with their personality. And uh, from that, I listened to him about how to scale the company. And it was really about uh, putting things, uh, putting your investment where you could see a return on investment. A lot of entrepreneurs will say, oh my gosh, you know, I made a mistake that I talk about. I bought 5,000 pens. 
I, when I first started out, I said, I need pins. I need these monogram mutt sauce pins. And he said, how many bottles of sauce are you going to sell by using a pin? Does a pin make someone hungry? I said, no. He said, then why are you putting your money there? Mm-hmm. And so that you have to think about that. Mm-hmm. Put it where you're going to get cash flow. If you don't have sauce, you can't sell anything. You don't have cash flow. And uh, that trajectory, I mean, that you know, 2017, 2018 after meeting him was just really great, I think, uh, for the company. And when the pandemic hit, I was sitting there like, okay, I was still stubborn because he had made hints about uh, this new site called Shopify.com where you can sell things, an online marketplace, e-commerce is great. And I'm like, who's going to buy food online? Hard-headed. Just wasn't. (laughs) Right. Several of his colleagues were saying the same thing. Shalinda, you should really put this online. Didn't listen. So when the pandemic hit, 90% of my income, my revenue was from trade shows, in-person events. Everything was canceled. Exactly. From March to September. And uh, I I said, well, we're a startup. We're having to start over because there's no way uh, we're going to make money if we don't pivot and listen to our mentors and put this thing online. And I... Everything you've seen now, we've actually had more revenue in 2020 than previous years. So I'm one of those stories of how you've done better during the pandemic than you did prior, only because you have to meet people where they are. And that's something I learned from one of my old interns. She said, I I have to stop telling people to get on my level because she said, I used to be that person that would say, get on my level. She said, but really, sometimes you need to meet people at their level, if you want to feel understood. Right. And it's, you know, um, I, as I've shared with you, I'm a serial entrepreneur myself. And um, I, one of the things that I'm going to be doing in the next, I would, you know, post this sale I'm working on uh, because I have a line of skincare, but to, to endorse other people and help you and explore and expand and that type of thing, but because it is all online, there's, there's no getting around it. It is what it is, you know? And um, it doesn't mean that you won't end up on QVC or something of that nature. I'm not saying that at all. I'm sure you will. But what I'm saying is that dynamic will continue to evolve your exposure. It's, it's very exciting. We could go on and on. I have so many thoughts and ideas. We'll have to talk offline because I, I just would love to share some thoughts and ideas with you. Um, but we do need to close. And before we do, Miss Sherlinda, um, I ask every guest the same question. Um, now, I don't know if you've ever read Three Feet from Gold from uh, Sharon Lecter and Greg Reed. Uh, it's part of the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And Sharon is uh, one of my mentors and an amazing businesswoman. She was a co-author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad with Robert Kawasaki. And uh, she left there and uh, joined the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And she and Greg Reed wrote this book, Three Feet from Gold. I would suggest it's a really great book for an entrepreneur. But Sharon in it has, which, and it's a fable, it's a story, and it's loosely uh, autobiographical autobiographical of Greg Reed's life, but in it, uh, she has what she calls the success formula. Mm -hmm. And 
one of the foundational uh, kind of in the uh, um, the uh, before it goes into Greg's life, it's about this gentleman from the gold rush days. Mm -hmm. And he was uh, in the East Coast, went out to the West, bought a little prospective vein and chipped, started chipping away at it and got very frustrated and ended up selling it to a townie. Mm -hmm. And the townie bought the, the vein and went, or perspective, and went back and three feet, he hit gold. He struck gold. Okay. Mm -hmm. So again, we spoke about this earlier. How many people give up? You know, you got that piece of gold and you might have just put it in your drawer and said another day or in six months, for goodness sakes. <laughs> As the shark said, hello. Yes. The fact that you even pursued on that. So Sharon, though, has in this what she calls the success formula. And it's your passion plus talent, excuse me, passion plus um my brain, the talent. Yes, I'm sorry. Passion plus talent times association times action plus faith equals success. Okay. Okay. And now I'm not going to ask you all of them, but what is your passion and what is your talent? Mm. Well, I'm all about legacy. I'm passionate about leaving a legacy that uh, is long lasting and great impact, positive impact. And that's what people think. Am I going to leave the company? I'm not focused on leaving the company to my son who I just had last year, mm -hmm. but I'm focused on instilling the values and the things that, that grit and determination that keep going those intangible things that he can take along with him and apply to any aspect of his life and be his version definition of success because I'm not going to define success for him. But that's what I'm passionate about. My gift is seeing, actually seeing the great things in other people. It's hard for me to see them in myself. I'll be transparent. It's hard for me to see uh, uh, some of the vision that Damon had before I saw it, what the shark saw before I saw it. Uh, but I can see it in other people. Mm -hmm. it's for me to see it and, and to cheerlead other people. So mm -hmm. that's I think a wonderful that thing though. is to yes. help unlock those things for people. You know, one of the things that Sharon says, uh, Charlinda, is that uh, uh, of her, uh, three core things, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, about your legacy, but one is to live your legacy, not to wait till you've passed on. So that's what you're saying is that you're living that and you're building that. And that is absolutely foundationally wonderful because that will continue in your spirit and continue on, like you said, for your son and, and others. So that's one really wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This hour has gone by, as I said, I could have, uh, Go, you know, gone on and on with, you know, asking questions and thoughts and ideas. We'll, we'll have to continue this in other ways, but, um, and, and maybe another unique leaders down the road as your journey evolves, thank but you. truly thank you so much for joining us today on unique leaders. I enjoyed our chat. Thank you, Ming, for having me.
Thank you so much for joining us today on Unique Leaders Live. It was a wonderful um, visit with Charlinda. I'm sure you enjoyed it as much as I did. And with that, it will be such a blessing to so many uh, young people thinking about going into the military, people that are looking to build an entrepreneurial business, how the two bridge together. And it is in that story is her success. So I would love you to share this out. It is on YouTube, so please go there and subscribe because again, not only with Charlinda's uh, story, but others that um, we have been with it would be a great blessing, not only to us, but other people that you share with. And on my uh, website, novitaspa.com, as well as megandimartino.com, I have my book, Hope and Possibilities. And that's what the thread through all of uh, people's stories, such as Shalinda's, is that they have hope and they have infinite possibilities. But it is never too early or too late to create the life of your dreams. And you see that through her story and the fabric of her life with her grandfather, her grandparents, her mom, and now her son. So it's never too early or too late. So go to truly MeganDiMartino.com. Um, it is there at, um, free for you. I put it there during the very challenging time last spring to give people hope. So go there, download it. It's free. It is on Amazon. It was number uh, went to number one on Amazon January of 2020, but it is no charge to you on my website. So please go there, enjoy it, and share it out as well. We will look forward again to seeing you next Friday for another segment of Unique Leaders Live. Have a blessed weekend. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Unique Leaders Podcast. If we said something today that resonated with you, please connect with me at megandimartino.com. I have a free gift for you, my book, Hope and Possibilities, Just Over the Horizon. It's never too early or too late to create the life of your dreams. And don't forget to head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. I would truly appreciate it. Be blessed.